This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. The U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments earlier this year about whether the Biden administration's plan to forgive student debt for some borrows. borrowers. An estimated 40 million borrowers could be affected. So what will happen if the court strikes down President Biden's plan? Joining me now to discuss the impact these legal challenges could have on student loan borrowers are Miami University Vice President of Enrollment Management and Student Success, Brent Schock. Welcome back, Brent. Thank you. And University of Cincinnati Associate Economics Professor Michael Jones. Thanks for being here, Dr. Jones. It's great to be here. The University of Cincinnati is a financial supporter of Cincinnati Public Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. Brent, first, let's talk about the basics of what President Biden's student loan relief program would would do. Kind of tell us the basics of of the idea there. Certainly. Back in August, the Biden administration announced a plan to forgive uh, loan debt for about 43 million borrowers nationwide. Uh, The plan had two pieces to it, $10,000 of forgiveness for uh, students um, who uh, earned uh, $125,000 or less, or if they were married, $250,000 or less. And there was an add-on of an additional $10,000 if the student qualified for the federal Pell Grant. So up to $20,000 could potentially be forgiven. And I know these, this um, Biden plan kind of stems from a law that was passed after 9-11. Congress passed this law to ensure student loan borrowers wouldn't be harmed during the national emergency. And President Biden is using that law in the context of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Michael, these legal challenges, including one from Republican state attorneys general, have halted the program. Can you explain just briefly what the, the U.S. Supreme Court has to decide in these cases? Sure. They're going to have to decide if the authority to actually forgive or cancel these student loans is going to be permitted by the uh, by the president. And I think when we start to talk about the economic issue, so I'm, I'm not a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the questions that we have to think about is, is who is going to win as a result of the, the student loan forgiveness and who might have to pay more as a result of this. Mm. Okay. And Brent, if the Supreme Court rules against the Biden administration, when would payments have to start up again? Yeah. Well, I think it's important to note that the Biden administration says says that there is no option B. And so they will move on. And if that is the case, then uh, student loans would begin repayment um, uh, one of two dates, either 60 days after the Supreme Court rules or 60 60 days after June 30th of this year. Hmm. Goodness. And what are some of the complicating factors with that, Brent? I mean, that you don't just, I guess, start that machine up uh, without any problem. It's very difficult. And I think that uh, many, many, many student loan borrowers are in for a difficult time. You think about uh, a couple of things that have uh, happened. First of all, we've not had student loan payments since March of 2020. So by uh, almost three, three years and uh, three, three years and three months or so will have elapsed uh, since the last payment. Many borrowers were um, using automatic uh, withdrawals. Uh, many borrowers during the pandemic, many people in the pandemic shifted, um, they migrated, they moved. And you have to ask yourself how many of those folks moved and have not kept up to date Uh, with their student loan information with the servicers, how many have changed banks. And so restarting is going to be really problematic. And I think that most folks are expecting student loan default rates to rise very dramatically after they do begin. Michael, let's talk a little bit more about that. Does that, do you see that as really increasing the potential for, for default rates? 
Yes, many of these students have become comfortable not having to pay several hundred dollars of, of payments every month. And so, as, as Brent just mentioned, having that shock uh, where you see that bill come to them is, is going to affect their spending. And I know that's one of the things that we're going to talk about is how is the change in consumer spending from these borrowers going to affect uh, the overall economy? Yeah, we'll go ahead, jump right into that. <laughs> yeah, I think we've used a lot of different terms even on the show so far, whether it's loan cancellation, forgiveness. I, th- I think one of the more accurate terms is, is transfer of the payments because education's not like other consumer goods like a car or a mortgage in which if you fall behind on your mortgage payments, the bank is gonna come in and repossess your house. So the education has already been spent. You can't unlearn what you're learning. And so the question then becomes who is the one who actually has to make those payments? And of course, the way this this works from an economic perspective is that it's the taxpayer who then is gonna see higher inflation uh, as a result of, of the student loan program. Well, we're already experiencing such high inflation. I imagine that's part of what's going to make it difficult for people who haven't had to pay back these loans to, to find that money in their in their paychecks. Yeah, I think that's what makes this somewhat of a controversial issue on both sides of the political aisle. I mean, you certainly have Republicans that have challenged it, but even within the, the president's own party, you have had uh, individuals protest against this. You had President Obama's former chief of counsel economic advisor say, this is just pure pouring fuel on the inflationary fire. And, and we certainly don't have a consumer spending problem right now. Just last month, we saw some of the highest consumer spending numbers in, in two years. So I think there's real concern about, about among economists is that is this just going to create more of an inflationary problem? Mm. Brent, depending on the outcome of whatever the Supreme Court decides, what impact do you think this could have on, on current and future borrowers? We've talked about that you know, these scary default rates that could be coming. But but what about some of the other impacts? Well, as Michael mentioned, so certainly uh, finding that money in your budget, again, will be tough. It will be tough for, for many, many families. You know, I, I think um, I think there's going to be a certainly a tremendous disappointment. One of the things that happened is that uh, when the Biden administration opened the application for forgiveness, 26 million Americans applied. 16 million Americans were already approved for uh, for forgiveness, and so there are folks that have are in their mind probably not following along, think, thinking that this is a finished deal that they are going to um, get this forgiveness, and it is not probably going to happen. So that would be the secondary thing. I think that um, already, and if you talk to folks in the higher education landscape, there's already an increased awareness about borrowing smartly. I think that that's going to continue. I think that already there has been some confusion around the purpose of student loans in terms of how uh, borrowing smartly can impact um, the outcome of a, of a quality education. And I think that that will continue to have to be the story for a while for these families. What would this mean for the racial wealth gap? Uh, Black Americans have a disproportionate share of the nation's student debt, right? And this seemed to be part of President Biden's plan to try to address, you know, a multifaceted plan to try to address that wealth gap. Is that something that you, you've you been thinking about? I have been thinking about that a little bit. Um, and I think it's hard to know exactly what that outcome will look like in the future. I don't know if Michael has any thoughts um, about that. But I do. you're correct that, that uh, will be, there will be some pockets of our population that will be disproportionately if, uh, impacted or affected by this, by this issue. And part, and part of answering that question, it's a little difficult to get a hold of the data and know exactly the demographics of who is going to pay this back because those individuals have to apply for this program. And one of the things that we have seen is about in, different income thresholds. We know that it can go up to $250,000 are eligible to apply for this. So I've seen some estimates that, that actually the, the majority of the debt is, is going to be forgiven by those who are in that upper 
uh, half of the income distribution. Mm, maybe people who are more tuned into applying and getting online and doing all that stuff. That, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, these are uh, people who perhaps have debt from professional schooling like MBAs or law schools or medical schools. And all of those individuals are covered in this yeah. program as well. One of the things the program was designed to do was to impact those from uh, fairly low family incomes. Uh, it was estimated that 90% of this program would impact students who uh, were eligible for the federal Pell Grant and had a very low, under $75,000 of income a year. So the I think the impacts on numbers will be, in terms of the numbers of students, will be large, but probably felt more deeply by pockets of the of the population. Mm. I want to remind our listeners, we're talking about what will happen if the U.S. Supreme Court rules against President Biden's plan for student debt relief. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. Michael, can you talk with us about some of the other ways that... Um, people can get debt forgiveness. You know, we're talking about this, the Biden administration plan, but there are also these um, pub- working in the public sector and other ways of kind of these other ways that people can get their debt forgiven. What are some backup plans that pe- people might need to look to? Sure. sure. You, you mentioned one already, that public service loan forgiveness program. So for individuals who go and work in public service, and so these could be things like in medicine, they work for nonprofit organizations after they serve in that role for a certain number of years, and I believe it's 10 years. Uh, so after 10 years that that debt would be forgiven. And, and frankly, there was a lot of issues with that early on just over the last few years is that people thought they were eligible. In fact, even in my own family, my, my wife qualified under this program. And it turns out because of how we refinanced our loans that we were no longer eligible. Mm. And so some of those things have been fixed. Uh, so, so real credit is due in that case. That's probably the most popular one. And so I think it's important that we distinguish between that. That program is still in place. That will continue. That's not being challenged uh, by, the, by the Supreme Court. Uh, it's it's, it's the other ones that we have talked about. Yeah. Are there others that you'd like to talk about, Brent? Well, I think I think that's the main one. That's really the only route to loan forgiveness uh, that exists today. You know, when borrowers are move into repayment, they do have uh, six, seven different options of different types of repayment plans that they can choose. But all in all, um, they still have to repay. And that, at that point, you're really just thinking about how to make your monthly payment manageable when choosing between those those different options, those yeah. different repayment options. Michael was just talking about how complicated that program could be and kind of figuring out, do you qualify, do you not qualify? How does a refinancing a loan play into that? Brent, can you talk to us about maybe some things that need to be done to make the federal loan system work better? Mm-hmm. I think, let me, if I could just for a second say this, that I think that we've missed a, a golden opportunity here in the United States um, to really tackle a tough issue, and that is on the area of student loans. Uh, uh, NPR this past summer had a poll out that said 55% of Americans supported up to $10,000 of forgiveness. Uh, the Biden administration has an approval rating of 40%. The Supreme Court, a similar approval rating. Congress, 18%. If we had been able to come together and talk about this issue in a collaborative way, we could have maybe achieved something pretty great. It's no uh, surprise to folks that have been in or around financial aid for a long time that the loan servicing program, the folks, once the loan is made, the folks that collect the loan from the student is badly, badly broken. And we've been at work at it on Miami since 2015, working with federal legislative arms, trying to make it better. 
And there are a host of things that could could be done to improve that. Um, the way that the way the U.S. Department of Education handles the contracts with the servicing agencies, even lacking some things around um, customer service uh, standards in those contracts would help. The way those agencies brand themselves, students lose sight of who their agency is. They don't know there are too many of them. Um, and so when you once you move into repayment, it quickly becomes very complicated and way more difficult than it needs to be for student loan borrowers. Well, and Brent, you had said that the the Biden administration says there's not a plan B, but but if the Supreme Court does rule against this program, could the administration try again, maybe with different wording or different? Could 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 they, the, the administration extend the pause? What are some of the outcomes that are possible here? Well, the pause is the pause is uh, in effect because of the Heroes Act, which you mentioned, the Higher Education. Um, uh, uh, Responsiveness Act, which which basically gives them some uh, additional uh, flexibility. Uh, as long as we're in a national pandemic, a national emergency, then that pause can remain into effect. But in, on February 10th, the Biden administration said that we're going to move a national uh, emergency forward until May 10th or 11th, at which point it will end. And at that point, then the ability to pause does end. And so I think that's why you'll see loans moving in repayment on June 30th or 30 days, 60 days, 60 days after. There is always a possibility that the Biden administration could figure out a way to work with Congress to make some movement. The question will be, what's the temperature between the two parties uh, in the legislative branch, branch at that point to, can, we, can they accomplish something? Yeah. Michael, what are the... Um economic implications of just all the debt that's out there. I mean, so many people have this debt weighing on them, making it hard for them to move forward with their lives, to buy a home or, or even start a family. I mean, when you, there are these thousands and thousands of dollars in debt that people have, are, are, I would imagine those add up for us as a nation. Yeah. So for the average individual who has student loan debt, it's you'll see estimates anywhere between thirty, thirty-three thousand dollars. In the macroeconomic picture, we have about one point eight trillion dollars or so of, of student let student loan debt. Now, certainly, mortgage is the is the biggest one at eleven trillion, and but it, but it, but it is significant. Now, now one thing we we haven't talked about, uh, and one concern that economists have is this issue of, of moral hazard, though. When individuals do have their loan forgiven or they expect their loan to be forgiven in the future, does that change the decisions that they might make? And so I think one thing that we're concerned about, we saw this with uh, in the 2009 housing crisis when banks uh, no longer uh, you know, were responsible for the bad loans on their books, does that create issues moving forward? And so I think, and, and there is some concern here as from an economics perspective, if I'm a student entering college, uh, I, I need to look at, well, what are the costs and what are the benefits? And if those costs are no longer being borne by myself, but they are now transferred to another person, does that change what I major in? Do I major in engineering? Do I major in business? Uh, if I have to pay those loans back, then I, I might seriously consider doing that major. But if I don't have to pay those loans back, then maybe I change what I major in. So that, that's a concern, I think, for the long run uh, uh, factor as a result of this, this cancellation. Well, and that seems to kind of get into the whole fairness uh, question, which isn't exactly a legal question, but it's something that came up a lot when this first that this plan was first unveiled. Brent, what are you hearing from people who've maybe already paid off their debt? Um, it seems to be a real mixed bag. I know mm -hmm. I just personally, I hear from people who say, hey, the more debt relief, the better, and others who say, hey, if I thought my debt was going to be relieved, maybe I'd have gone to yeah. college instead of trade school or something else. Well, what are what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh 
Lucy, I think it's interesting that that actually came up a little bit with some of the justices in the in the oral arguments. Um, you know, you certainly hear you certainly hear both sides. Uh, I think I'm in the camp of that uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, and so if um, if if hardworking Americans who have worked to put them th- work to put themselves through school with their loans and are now uh, paying taxes and and in, employ jobs, if their debts forgiven, I think that actually betters betters our our country. Mm. That's interesting. I think we haven't had a disagreement yet until this point. So so it's it's kind of nice to see that. I think and the way I would look at that is those individuals, when they signed the promissory note, there wasn't a distress. They they knowingly entered into that agreement. I think anyone would understand if there was fraudulent claims that were made. And we, we certainly see those cases where student loans have been forgiven in those cases. But for individuals who knew what they were getting into, I think it does raise a lot of questions of equity and fairness because people did make decisions about where, even at UC, we have a lot of students who work. They take those second jobs and they spend more time working than in class. And so, you know, knowing that they could have not had to take on so much debt, uh, I think does uh, create issues of, of equity and fairness. So do you think this will have an impact on the decisions of current and future students if they think their debt will or will not be forgiven? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, even right now you have individuals, they can pay their debt back. They are, nothing stops them from writing a check for it to continue to pay down their loans. But why in the world would you if you know that there's a possibility here in the future uh, of of actually not having to pay that back? Brent, tell us a little bit about the Biden administration's Fresh Start program. What is that and how does that fit into this whole thing? Yeah, the Fresh Start program uh, was designed and is still being implemented for students that have defaulted on their on their federal student loans. And it basically is giving them a one-time rehabilitation of that loan. They're taking a loan that is in default um, and moving it to in a, p- a positive status and restarting payments and sort of allowing them to begin repayments to try to come fresh or come have a fresh start with the repayment of their loan. And it's undetermined yet of, of how many Americans will be impacted by that and or what that dollar figure will look like. Um, I'm probably a little skeptical that that will work, but I think it will benefit some some folks, and I think that we'll see some lift from that. Yeah. Do you think overall, could all of this refocus the conversation on just the affordability of higher education in general? I'll start with you, Brent. I think it's been an ongoing conversation for a while now. And so I, I don't think that it's going to necessarily energize it, but I certainly think it's not going to go away. Mm. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to help the situation because if you know that there is going to be a potential of having these loans forgiven, I think it's going to be affecting the tuition price. Uh, obviously, universities may not have the same incentive now to keep costs down if those loans are going to be forgiven. But if the Supreme Court rules and says, sorry, sorry, Joe, <laughs> sorry, President Biden, it's not happening, do you think it could refocus if there's no chance that debt will be forgiven? Could could that conversation about, hey, is education, is higher education just too expensive right now, come back into focus? Well, well that, qu- that conversation is happening right now because it, it already is. And, and if you look at the, the sticker price versus what students are actually paying, the, the rate of tuition increase of what students are actually paying is not increasing near at the rate in the 2020s as it was in the 2010s. And, and partly it's because the economic environment for higher education has changed. You know, we lost about a million students uh, during COVID that would have been enrolled but no longer aren't. And so universities are having to compete on quality, but also compete on price. 
Mm. And how, you know, you're in this business every day, Bram, what are what are the main things that you worry about when you're trying to strike that balance? You want to give folks the quality education they want at a price they can afford. Yeah, that's a, a really, a really good question. And I think I think the question that we come back to is it worth it in the end? And what is the return on the investment? And I think over and over and over, you can look at the data from the government uh, to individuals that you know in your lives and ask the question, is it worth it? And the answer is that in almost every case, a higher education degree pays for itself in a short period of time and gives you dividends for the rest of your life. It, and this is where Brent and I would agree, absolutely. So I think about a $30,000, $33,000, that's, that's the cost of a car and what the future looks like as a result of taking on that debt is well worth it. Okay. Well, I've been talking with Miami University Vice President of Enrollment Management and Student Success, Brent Schock, and University of Cincinnati Associate Economics Professor Michael Jones. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Pleasure. You've been listening to Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. Our producer is Selena Reeder. Associate producer is Asiya Johnson. Technical director is Derek Smith. Rob Fetters composed our theme music. And if you miss our program live, you can subscribe to Cincinnati Edition wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lucy May. Thank you so much for listening.